When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. And people last week liked our soul bearing smack talk about uh, automotive journalism, so there's more of that to come this week. Uh, but first, we've got uh, acronym soup. We've got CES, uh, NAIAS, and then. Uh, or NIAS. Right, so we NIAS. Call it here. I wasn't going to try, but NIAS. Is, uh, and then questions. So let's get to it. All righty. And before we get going, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out or in the uh, terminology uh, uh, debuted by the guys at Relay FM, uh, a follow out uh, to uh, the guys at um, the uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, Casey Liss and uh, Marco Ormond and John Syracuse. Um, for anybody that's listening uh, this time because you heard Casey uh, mention Wheel Bearings Podcast, welcome and we hope you enjoy it. And uh, make sure you keep listening to ATP as well. What did they say about us? You know? um, well, I had uh, sent in a note um, uh, regarding something they, they had been talking about uh, John's wife had just got a new Honda Accord and they were trying to figure out whether or not it had support for Apple CarPlay. And so I sent a note uh, and to uh, some feedback into those guys to say, um, yeah, most of the 2017 Accords uh, do have CarPlay and Android Auto support. Uh, but it turns out that uh, uh, they bought uh, one of the uh, the sport trim level. Uh, which the the two lower trim levels, the LX and the Sport, are the only ones that don't have the the uh, touchscreen display radio, and uh, those don't have support for CarPlay and Android Auto. So her car uh, apparently does not have that. Um, but all the other trim levels, the EX and, and above, all have that uh, that radio, and thus have that support. And you know, so, yeah, you know why Honda does that because everybody would choose an EX with. Uh, or or uh, they would choose the 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 cheaper car uh, because you could actually use Android Auto or Apple CarPlay and get a better infotainment system than the <laughs> EX has. Is that, yeah, I mean, that's it's true. It's, I just don't like the interface. The system itself is actually not bad. It's a little Byzantine, but anyway, we don't need to rehash. I just it's cool okay. that we got a shout out. I feel uh, not as talented as those guys. So uh, thank you. <laughs> for that uh and you know while we're talking about cars let's talk about what we're driving i know you were at both of the shows so you put on 22 miles on your feet but you've also been driving a, a actually a very interesting vehicle especially as china uh, or chinese automakers edge closer to selling stuff in our market what have you been driving this week 
I have been driving the first Chinese built vehicle that has been exported to the U.S. and put on sale to the general public. I mean, there, I think there have been a handful of uh, some BYDs, that, BYD uh, plug-in hybrids that have been uh, sold or, or leased to some fleets uh, for use, for testing. But uh, I've got the Buick Envision, which is Buick's new midsize crossover that actually debuted in China, uh, I think, about three years ago and finally arrived uh, here in the U.S. Uh, last year in 2016. Um, and it's it's based on the, the same platform as the Chevy Equinox and the GMC Terrain, uh, but it's a little bit longer than those two. So get a little bit more room inside. Um, and as I mentioned, it's it's built in China. Um, and then exported here because uh, China is essentially at this point the, the main reason why the Buick brand still exists. Um, it was Buick had, would have been on the chopping block during GM's bankruptcy back in 2009. But um, because they sell so many of them in China, uh, it was deemed important to keep the Buick brand alive here as well. And so why do they build the Envision? Because it's like this is a uh, vehicle that they build here in the U.S. too. I mean, it's it's maybe it's a little longer, but you would think that GM could set up a a, a plant that's flexible enough to build all flavors. This is still Theta, right? Uh, yeah, it's based on the Theta platform. And to be honest, I'm I'm not really sure. You know, I don't I don't think the, the sales volumes are that huge for it. Um, I mean, you know, Buick, Buick sales in North America in general are you know they're okay but they're nowhere near what they are in china i mean they sell i think well over a million buicks a year in china uh but you know here it's on the order of a couple of hundred thousand so um i think the the envision you know in sales of the envision are only a small fraction of what the the terrain and equinox are uh so you know i i guess i'm not sure i think i think in to some degree it's kind of an experiment you know to see um, you know what the the market would accept here. Oh, to be like knowing that it's a Chinese built vehicle and and sort of putting that out there and saying like, well, here it is. This is this is a vehicle that we built in China. Knowing that I'm I'm sure they knew they could pivot too and pull production stateside if they needed to if it w met with lots. Yeah, of, if there was you know, if there was enough state. demand, they could certainly do that. Yeah. Um, you know they they sold. Uh, you know I think I'm not sure when when it went on sale, um, but the, it was sometime in mid year and. Uh, through the end of 2016, they sold just over 14,000 of them here in the U.S. Um, and they sold 3,900 in um, in December. You know, and for comparison, uh, GM sold 27,000 Equinoxes and uh, 7,400 Terrains. So it's you know fairly small volume compared to the others. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to say why they decided to bring it in from China, but uh, you know it. Certainly, you know, compared to the reputation that um, some of the, the Chinese um, domestic brands have gotten when they've shown cars here, like at the Detroit Auto Show. Um, and let's just say that um, none of the stuff that we've seen from China so far over here, in fact, most of the Chinese domestic brands, you know, that we've seen in China um, would probably qualify as being ready for prime time. They're getting better, though. Every time, like every year, they're they're making strides. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, they're definitely making progress. Um, you know, the the Envision starts at uh, thirty four thousand dollars here in the U.S. And 
runs up uh see i guess close to 60 grand what or, uh, close to no sorry close to close to 50 <laughs> I was gonna, uh, I mean, fully it's still kind of like what but um, yeah and so which version do you have the the four the 2.5 liter four cylinder or the two liter turbocharged i, I have the uh the turbo uh which you know is getting okay fuel economy but it's it's not great you know it's so far uh i picked it up on saturday and it's tuesday now uh, so, you know, driving back and forth to uh, Detroit uh, three times in the last three days, it's averaged about 21 miles per gallon, which, you know, for a compact to midsize uh, crossover, modern crossover is only kind of so so. I mean, that's, uh, that's not that's not too far off from what I would expect. You know, the, the trade off is that you've got a pretty healthy power plant there. You know, you, you could go down yeah. to the 2.5 and you've got. About 50 less horsepower, 55 less or fewer, I should say, 55 fewer horsepower. <laughs> um, and the the mileage will creep up probably to the mid 20s. So for, you know, an extra four or five miles per gallon, you're, you're missing out on a, a much more pleasant driving experience, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, this one, um, it's got uh, six speed trans automatic transmission, uh, which, you know, a lot of uh, GM's more recent cars built over here have eight and, and are now switching to nine speeds. GM's new nine speed. Um, the the premium trim level that I have runs about forty six thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's mm. it's pretty well loaded. You know, it's got heated seats, heated steering wheel. Um, it's pretty nicely finished inside. Um the you know it's got all the uh, driver assist systems. It's got adaptive cruise control and and uh, the uh, the high end audio system. But you know I, it's you know so, for for so forty six for yeah for forty six grand it's nice but not great. You know I don't think it would be my first choice. Yeah, I mean in terms of materials and and finish and and all that stuff, does it. I'm sure it doesn't probably does feels a little bit like a stretch at 46, but in the mid thirties, like for class competitive wise, is it? Yeah. In, it in, the mid, in the mid, in the mid thirties, you know, it's certainly, you know, mid to upper thirties, it probably would have been fine. Um, you know, I, I think, but I do think it at 46, it's definitely pushing it. You know, I think, you know, for, for this kind of money, um, I would probably, you know, step up to the Cadillac XT5, well, I which I think, say, yeah. I think is a, a better looking vehicle. You know, in the you know the roughly the same size class, um, and starts, similar right. similar hardware starts at thirty nine three ninety five. The XT five does. So, yeah, I mean the the trade off obviously is like you're you're going to get the Buick much more loaded than you would the Cadillac, except for some of those things that are exclusively Cadillac. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um. I, I think GM really wants to make a case for there being a different buyer for Buick than there is for Cadillac. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's so much the case. I don't, I don't know. Um, they've got demographic research to kind of back it up for them, but you know, for both brands, they're, they're trying to basically push the average age down. And so it's kind of Buick and Cadillac are competing for the same territories. Buick at and, this point is kind of like, and they've been making progress on that. I mean, their, their average, uh, the average age of their customers has come down quite a bit over the last six or seven years. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they are right now for each brand, but I know they are down, down from where they were a decade ago. Uh, so they're, you know, they've been making progress on that count and certainly, you know, overall Buick sales um, here in, in North America, you know, have been, at least stable and, you know, growing at a, 
at a slight pace. Um, you know, adding extra crossovers to their lineup has certainly helped. Um, you know, there's their sedan sales, um, like like most sedans, um, in, you know, in the last four or five years have been in pretty steady decline. Uh, but they're, you know, they've they've got the the small Encore at the bottom end. They've got the Enclave at the high end and the Envision in the middle. You know, so they've got a pretty good, a pretty solid lineup of crossovers, which which is something, you know, at this point, you really can't say for Cadillac yet. You know, right now, they, they have only the X-T5. Right. But so, the, the problem is that the Cadillac's going to duplicate that, too. You know, you, we know that they're yeah. going to have an X-T7 and we know they may have, you know, an X-T3 if, if we can try to make any kind of sense out of their naming convention. Um, you know, they'll, or they'll have something along those lines. They'll get one that's a little right. smaller. Yeah, there'll be something smaller and something bigger. And, you know, they may... I wouldn't be surprised if there were, you know, even two smaller ones, um, you know, to, to go up against the likes of the BMW X1 and X3. Yeah. I, and it's, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like there's there's very little room for that mid luxury nameplate like Buick to exist anymore. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're in the same predicament that Mercury was, although Buick's product is better. Mm-hmm. It, it, like they, Buick has a, a and, solid and lineup, more, but yeah, and, and Buick's you know Buick's products are are more distinguished, you know, visually and and equipment wise from, uh, you know, Chevrolet for example, um, and Cadillac than Buick ever or that Mercury ever was at Ford. Mm-hmm. You know, Merc, you know, Mercury was little more than, um, you know, Ford with a different grill. and you know they've certainly done a better job of setting Buick apart from Chevrolet and Cadillac. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the main reason the Buick brand, you know, continues to be sold at all is, you know, at this point, uh, for the most part, you know, Buick's cars and, and, you know, most of Buick's models aside from the Envision, uh, and the Enclave are basically all borrowed from Opel. They're, right. they're rebadged Opals, which, you know, again, is not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the Regal, the Regal is an Opal, um, insignia. Uh, and you know, the, well, the lacrosse actually is, is unique, uh, to North America and China. So that one didn't come from Opal, but the Cascada and the Encore, uh, are both borrowed from Opal. So, you know, it's, it's a, a mix of, you know, stuff from Opal and, um, you know, and stuff from China. And, you know, so it's, there's not, there's not a lot of incremental cost for GM to do these vehicles, uh, and offer them here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's certainly got to be cheaper for them to keep Envision production in China and just put them on boats and ship them over here versus, you know, setting up a, a production facility. And, you know, it really just makes me think like GM turned Saturn into Oldsmobile and then killed Oldsmobile. And then um, Buick got turned into Saturn after they killed Saturn. <laughs> well, they turned Saturn into Oldsmobile. And then after that, they turned it into uh, Opal. Yeah, and right. then when they killed Saturn, then they switched the Opals over to Buick. Yeah, it's it's just a, I mean, it's looking back with nostalgia. It's just an interesting commentary. Yeah. Um, I, I think you know the the there's certainly a place for the Envision. It's a good product to have here, but I you know among all the competition, it's maybe it's just competing with itself or, or GM competing with itself is is what I'm trying to say. Well, and, and we'll we'll get back to that a little bit uh, later on when when we get into our discussion of the uh, Detroit Auto Show. Uh, but what are you driving this week? This week, I just got out of a Gen. I, well, is it a Hyundai Genesis or Genesis? It's just Genesis, just Genesis now, right? So it's a Genesis yeah. G80 all-wheel drive. So it has the H track. Um, man, this is. This is a nice car. Uh, really, really well done. It's not just, 
nicely luxurious, which you know, the first generation Genesis was was luxuriously outfitted and they really did their homework on materials and that kind of stuff. But this this one is really all of a piece. Uh, and it, it took me by surprise because it's not it's not every media car that you drive that it really sort of like feels like it submits to you, right? Like it, it's yours. It drives like it's your car. Um, and, and I know that's kind of a like uh, off in the cloud statement to make, but it's, <laughs> you know, there's there's that connection between driver and car that not every car can can muster at least that quickly. And this car just like it hit all the right notes. Um, it's a big car, uh, so it has some of that big sedan feel, but it's it's nimble on its feet. Um, the ride and handling balance is magnificent they did a really really good job and i know they had help from lotus when they initially developed this this generation of genesis um and they it was completely worth it <laughs> um it's it's just got that very unflustered supple yet um you know long wheel travel kind of thing that bmw was known for for a long time um kind of you know chassis calibration uh, it's got enough structural rigidity to to manage that as well, so you don't feel it like flexing. The older, uh, the older platform, which you can still get as the the Kia um, K900, uh, that feels a lot more flexible. <laughs> yeah, know? it does. It's it's not a terrible car, uh, but it's it's not of the same caliber. Like this is definitely you know it's a serious attempt at uh, really competing on merit with, you know, vehicles like the Lexus LS, um, and you know, the BMW five and seven series and Mercedes, I wouldn't say S class, but, uh, it's, it's about that size. I just feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go up against the S class. The S class is such a sort of beacon. Um, but man, I am, I am so impressed. It, it just, uh, even the the v6 you know it's a 311 horsepower engine so it's got about 290 pound feet of torque feels really really strong there's no reason for the v8 in this car it moves right along um, and I, I think it's pretty reasonable to assume you know something we'll, we'll again that we'll get to later that the uh, next generation of the g80 probably won't offer a v8 uh yeah yeah but i i guarantee you the next generation of the g80 is still going to be a, a screaming bargain so this car was um very nicely equipped it had the uh premium package which is the led fog lights uh panoramic roof lexicon audio system um seven inch uh infotainment systems and their infotainment system is actually very good it's easy to use it has a control knob down on the uh the console as well um you know the perforated leather with piping so it's it's dressed up real nice it, uh, okay so some of that's the ultimate package as well as i'm looking and actually i had the upgraded nine inch screen so um just overall really really well done uh fifty three thousand dollars i was astounded wow yeah i mean that's you know that that is you know an amazing value for what you're getting in that car Yeah, it doesn't feel like they cheaped out anywhere like you look it over yeah. it didn't... and i mean you look at it you know the, the styling of it you know it looks like an expensive car yeah well once again it's that that kia hyundai or well hyundai kia in this case um where you know expensive styling like p true 
true styling, like, you know, cutting fashion doesn't have to be expensive. It typically is because they can afford the stylists. But I think Hyundai and Kia made a very conscious investment in their design staff back a few years ago, about 10 years ago now. Um, and every car they make is just it looks like a million bucks. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And that may be underselling what it costs to actually style them. But still, it's uh, it, it just like it, it drives home the point like, you know, style doesn't have to be expensive in the execution. I'm very impressed with the execution. The materials are all fantastic in this car. Um, and, and, you know, overall really just, just the driving, um, really, really impressed me. I did. I haven't, uh, felt sort of as comfortable behind the wheel of things like the, you know, five series BM five and seven series BMWs. Um, yeah, they're fun. You have them for a week and obviously they're, they're pricey German cars and they're sort of the flagships, but they don't necessarily, you know, feel like they've got your back, you know, and that you, you know what they're going to do and, and you know where the responsiveness is. And uh, so that's something that had been lacking for so long with, with Hyundai. Uh, they could put the car together on paper, you know, it would have all the features. It would have the price. Uh, it would measure up on that sort of spreadsheet discussion, but then you'd go take it out on the road and, and it would, it just wouldn't gel. Um, this sort of flips that around. Uh, this, this car is really nice to drive and I've driven it before. And I, I guess I, you know, either I didn't come away as impressed at the last time because it, it, you know, hadn't been tweaked or I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm just in a charitable mood this week. I don't know. Very impressed. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good solid car. And I've, I've got one uh, coming in a couple of weeks. Um, so I'll, I'll, be able to give you a second impression at that point it's been a couple of years since i drove one yeah um and that was before they separated the the genesis brand away from hyundai so at that time it was just the hyundai genesis and now genesis is its own sub brand uh and they've got the two models the g80 and the g90 which uh the g90 is the replacement for the uh the the old equus and uh the the um they've got some other models coming you know they've got a uh, a crossover to and and something smaller than the G80 as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'll review this one too. I'll put some. I've been putting some thoughts together. So, like I did, I, I don't know if anybody saw. Uh, I'm sure you saw where I, I just had a post from last year that like that never got picked up by anybody. Um, I had pitched it around and nobody wanted it, so I was like, I'm just going to put it up because I like the pictures. Um, so I, I, the FT86 post that I put over on Extra Mile Podcast. Um, I'll do the same for this one for the the Hyundai um g80 and or the genesis g80 uh and then just share it via our facebook um so people can see what other sort of deeper thoughts i have on it if they're interested and yeah. then i'd you know love to follow up with with what you think about it once you have a chance are you, you getting the g80 or the g90 uh the g80 yeah yeah hey, well good um, tell me if i'm off yeah. my rocker <laughs> yeah the the only thing the only thing to me that's disappointing about the g80 is the the new naming convention uh, yet another, you know, alphanumeric names. Yeah. Which thankfully, um, Kia uh, did not do for their latest product. Yeah, well, that's a it's a good pivot, I guess. Uh, should we talk about Nias first or CES? So uh, I spent last week, all last week at uh, CES in Las Vegas, four days out there, and the um, the big thing about CES, there's been a lot of consternation um, in the industry, you know, here in Detroit, uh, you know, over the last several years, because CES and uh, the Detroit Auto Show either follow immediately one right after the other, with CES coming first and the Auto Show coming right after, or or in some cases, I think next year's schedule actually has the two shows. 
running simultaneously. Uh, well, and you know, we, we do the same thing here in Boston too. our very important Boston auto show uh, runs concurrently with Detroit. I mean, you have a Boston yeah. auto show. <laughs> yeah, we do <laughs> actually. And every now and then they debut something yeah. here. It's uh, it's interesting. But uh, yeah. So, you know, we've seen in recent years, you know, fewer, um, product introductions uh, here in Detroit, but um, that's that's actually not something that's unique to uh, the show, the North American International Auto Show here in Detroit. That's actually something that's been happening at every major auto show in Los Angeles, uh, New York, um, in Europe, in at Geneva, Frankfurt, and Paris. There's been fewer and fewer um, new product introductions, and you know there's this trend that's been happening where um, manufacturers have been pulling their cars away um, and wanting to do standalone events um, so that basically they can get all the attention on their car. So they're not fighting for attention with all the other manufacturers at an auto show, which, you know, to, to a degree that's, that's fine. But, you know, there's also a lot of additional costs associated with that when they do standalone events. But, um, you know, a lot of people have, you know, have taken to blaming CES as part of the problem, you know, for, uh, the reduction in introductions here in Detroit, and it's actually not not the case because um, there's never really been a you know much in the way of new product introductions from car makers at CES. It's not like you know the companies that make TVs and and um, internet connected refrigerators and and cell phones. Um, the car companies that are going there, they're mainly talking about technology features. You know, so they've been showing autonomous vehicles and and connected vehicles and things like that, uh, and the the focus you know definitely seems to be i think the the, the reason that what that they seem to be going to CES seems to be you know to get in front of a different group of media than you typically would find in an auto show you know a lot of technology media that are not normally exposed to these automotive technologies uh, but these are the same people that are writing about companies like Google and Apple and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft and you know the the coverage that they give to those technology companies is the kind of coverage and also to a lot of startups you know that coverage is um, reflected in the way the the financial markets see those companies and value those markets you know so both uh, you know for public companies you know wall street but also for uh, venture capitalists and you know you, you end up getting these technology companies with you know massive valuations you know so you end up you know with with companies like uber you know that lose three billion dollars a year valued at you know 65 billion dollars ver yeah versus ludicrous yeah you know ver versus a, a car company <clears throat> that makes you know 10 billion dollars in profit you know having half that valuation all all, right. all because you know they actually make stuff but that's the, like that's what i was going to say like uber doesn't make anything right um it, it except for scandals yeah. like the uh and at ces like so there's there's some of this there's some of what i've seen from this and from from the north american international shows is like the the sort of uh, mainstream press and and high-tech press like the mainstream press does all the g whiz stories but you know and that's been the story of both shows really but it's definitely ces was like all of the autonomy stuff because it's it is coming and they're working very hard on it and and you know technology integrations it's just that's an ongoing thing. Um, but also like the, the tech press seems to have this 
opinion that automakers are this very old line industry and they're not innovative and they're not high tech anymore. It's like it's almost like they they're treating it like, you know, blacksmiths yeah, <laughs> or, or something. Or, and it's like, you know, buggy whip manufacturers. Yeah. And it's just so not the case. I mean, I think that there's we probably own the only other product that we have that maybe has like half of the sophistication that an automobile has in it is our smartphone. And that's that. It, I does, it doesn't even come. It, it doesn't even come close to matching the the capability, you know, the, the technological sophistication of a modern car, um, you know, because most modern cars now increasingly, you know, uh, modern cars essentially have you know the guts of cell phones built into them you know for their telematic systems they've got infotainment systems that you know whatever you may think of their user interface you know from a from a technological standpoint you know they have as much or more capability um and then you've got all the other stuff that makes up a car you know plus plus all the safety features you know that um, you know, are required to be built in there. And, you know, the, all the, the regulations that car makers have to meet in order to put a car on sale. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to sit back in Silicon Valley and to, you know, throw stones and say, Oh, look at those guys. They can't get it done. Look at that interface. And so as much as I complain about the infotainment systems, it, part of it is just like, if they feel like, uh, you know, that the user experience isn't great, but the hardware itself, I generally like, it has to be the way it has to be for a variety of reasons. But one of them is it has to be very reliable and, and, and durable. You know, you, yeah. Right. You, and, and handle temperature extremes and, and just, you know, people just don't accept their cars having failures the same as they accept their smartphones having failures. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, just, you take a car out or you take a phone out, you know, or a camera and, you know, five or 10 degree weather. And, you know, after if you leave it outside exposed to that for a few minutes, it's going to stop working. You know, same thing in extremely hot temperatures. But, you know, a car, you know, a typical car will start just fine at 40 below zero and operate just fine at, you know, 120 or more. Uh, You know, so with, you know, without any problem and, you know, it'll run for, you know, for 20 years. Uh, You know, most most modern cars will run for 20 years with nothing more than basic maintenance. Yeah. So I I just, you know, I get that impression that there's that friction yeah. <laughs> between the two two sides of things. And not everybody um, sort of gives that off for sure. And and I think it is it is great that automakers are getting out there and, and really trying to figure out how to how to converge these sort of two different industries. Um, and certainly autonomy is, is continues to be one of the bigger stories of you know, CES, uh, but also, I mean, you were at the Faraday future thing. So you have to tell us what that was. about. Yeah, that was, that was in some ways a bit of a train wreck, uh, much, much like the company <laughs> itself. Um, you know, it was an exceptionally long presentation that was uh, dominated by a lot of self-important and overwrought language. Um, what from a Silicon Valley company? Well, actually they're no. not from Silicon Valley. They're, they're based uh, in Los Angeles. I, I, okay, close enough. Yeah. From a California company. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> says the New Englander. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> Carry on. you know, which, which is, you know, I mean, it, I, to me, it's really a shame that, you know, in all likelihood, um, Faraday Future is probably going to fail as a company. They're probably, you know, the company is probably going to collapse, uh, have a financial collapse in the, in the coming months uh, just because of lack of money. Uh, because there's actually a lot of really good, really smart people working there. 
that are capable of doing some amazing things. And there's there's a lot of really cool ideas in their their car, the FF91. Um, and it'll be a shame if they don't get an opportunity to you know really to bring those to market. But you know, just to give you an example of what this event was like, uh, you know, part at one stage in the presentation, um, Nick Sampson, who is uh, VP. Uh, VP of operations. I think I, I can't remember exactly uh, what his title is, but he, he is effectively in charge these days at, uh, at Faraday future, since they don't actually have a CEO uh, and many of their top executives have left the company in the last, uh, the last month or so. Uh, but he talked about their, their factory, which is um, supposed to go in, uh, in North Las Vegas. You know, they got a billion dollars worth of tax breaks from the state of Nevada and the, and the city of North Las Vegas. And he said, yeah, you know, he got up there and talked about how, you know, we've completed the first phase of construction of the, the factory and um, then proceeded, you know, said, and here's a video showing, you know, showing us, do, you know, the time, you know, uh, showing us doing that first phase of construction and then proceeded to run about a minute long video, which consisted of nothing more than earth movers moving dirt. I mean, literally <laughs> all they have done is move dirt. They have not poured an ounce of concrete yet or you know or laid any foundations they have moved well it's site work yeah they have, they, have, work. they have moved dirt and that work stopped um at least a month or two ago uh, apparently because of uh, um, late payments to contractors and when yeah. when that will resume is unclear uh you know and then at another point in the in the presentation uh, uh yt ja who's the uh, founder and and ceo of la echo uh, who's the the main financial backer for Faraday? Uh, Wait a minute, though. I thought I thought Faraday was put up as collateral for. Is it Leco's uh, cars? Uh, who, or is it who, like who knows? I mean, it's so convoluted. I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of bizarre financials going on, and uh, you know, Jalopnik actually had a really good uh, story. They mm -hmm. looked into this, you know, and looked into some of the financials and what money was going where. But as far as whatever money. Most of whatever money has come in to Faraday, you know, and, and then ultimately gone out, um, came in via uh, Mr. Jaw. But he, you know, he he drove the car out, um, you know, about a third of the way across the presentation stage and stopped, got out of the car. And then uh, and this was about, oh, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes into the into the presentation, into the event. Um, and then got up and proceeded to speak for about seven or eight minutes. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, um, his his um, first language is, is not English or well, I mean, not, I shouldn't say unfortunately is his first language is not English. And um, most of what he said was largely unintelligible uh, to the audience. Um, and to, you know, from a from a PR perspective, um, you know, I think it would have been more productive to have him come up and, you know, give a, give a greeting, maybe do the initial introduction uh, rather than try to speak so much about the car to an audience that largely could not understand what he was saying. Uh, Wait a minute. I thought you didn't like working in the PR industry. Now you're giving a uh, good solid advice. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm teasing. Yeah. Um, um, you know, and then he, after he finished his, his talk, he went back to the car and pressed the button to do what was supposed to be a demonstration of the car's uh, autonomous self-drive, self-parking capability. And the car did not move. And they tried again for a minute or so. 
and finally gave up and, and Nick Sampson, you know, came back and said, you know, looks like the car is feeling a little bit timid tonight. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, it's prototype cars, you know, these things are not done, you know, and demo fails are, are not at all unusual, especially at CES. I mean, most companies at CES have had demo fails at some point or hey, another. Mi- yeah. Mi- Microsoft, oh, they've had Bill some, Gates had a blue screen of death. Yeah, man. I mean, if Microsoft <laughs> has had some classics at CES. Um, so, you know, but I mean, it was just, it was kind of indicative of the whole thing. Uh, you know, they, they said they're going to start taking deposits on the cars um, and they have, um, two levels of res- they opened up the reservation system and you, you have two levels of reservation. You can get a priority reservation, which requires a $5,000 deposit, um, or you can get a regular reservation, which is free of charge. And they claim they got 64,000 reservations in the first day, but they refused to say how many of those actually came with $5,000 deposits. I was going to say, like, I, I'd sign up for a reservation if it was free. Yeah. Well, the, like, the, only, the only problem is they, they said nothing about how much the car was going to cost. And based on the, the specifications, you know, with 100, 130 kilowatt hour battery pack and 400 mile range and 1000 horsepower, you know, um, it's pretty reasonable to assume that this thing is going to cost at least one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And it's what's not clear is. Um, you know, how much of a real market there is for $150,000, thousand horsepower EVs. Uh, you know, you've, yeah. you've got Tesla, you've got Lucid Motors, now Faraday. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, some, somebody's got to start, you know, taking a more realistic approach to the market. And, you know, obviously Tesla is moving into more mainstream market with the Model 3, um, you know, and Lucid, you know, Lucid is, has taken a, a much more, um, realistic approach, you know, to how they've promoted their car. You know, they're, they're not, you know, they're not claiming that as Faraday is that they're going to reformat transportation and reformat the auto industry. You know, it's, it's, it was all kind of really bizarre. Um, and like I say, unfortunately, you know, uh, my, I don't think that their company is going to survive, um, which is a shame uh, because, like I said, you know, a lot of good, a lot of good people working in California are going to be um, probably out of work uh, when this whole thing collapses. Uh, but I hope not. I, you know, I hope I hope somehow they get some good management in there and you know manage to find some financing to build something really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, so part of me feels like the. Like you said, the market is starting to get saturated for these ultra high end baubles, really. They're toys mm-hmm. um, for, for people who can afford them. And like that, that's cool. And I know that Tesla set the mold for that. And they, you know, it made some sense, I think, when they did it, where you have to have those early adopters be wealthy people and they're going to basically finance you refining this thing until you can then again, make it cheaper. And, and you know, automobiles themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, mean I think the, the overall strategy that Tesla had, like you said, you know, starting at the high end, using that to gain experience and start generating some revenue to finance the development of main, more mainstream vehicles, I think in general was a good, was a good strategy, you know, and, I mean, they've, they've had some execution problems with the vehicles that they've brought to market so far. Uh, but, you know, that that doesn't take away from the, the the good side of the strategy as a whole. 
Yeah. And, you know, what we really need, though, is like, and a kind of half shame on the press, even the automotive press for like just buying this thing like hook, line and sinker. I can't tell you how many stories I saw like, well, the, you know, Faraday future, this car, you know, reinvents everything. I'm like, no, no, it's this. This is this is one car on one show stage. Who knows if there's any any more? And I know we've seen, you know, other prototypes doing things like that's all. Like it's difficult, but it's not that difficult. This this is they're doing the easy part of what's hard right now. Right, I guess if you know, um, it, 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 or, or they're doing you know this is this is all low hanging fruit. Um, get it in production, get it in production for a price. Stick to that price, make it reliable, make it repeatable, uh, and then like somebody needs to finally make us the Model T of. Uh, electric vehicles or you know this this new age of vehicle that's electric autonomous and connected and all of these wonderful things like i i need the one that costs thirty five thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars and you know i mean that's exactly what tesla is aiming for with the model three and and gm with the chevy bolt and you know most likely um you know nissan with the, the second generation leaf which uh is supposed to be coming soon uh and, you know, and also uh, Ford uh, with their upcoming electric SUV. Yeah. And if I had to put money on it, I'd say GM, Ford, Nissan are going to get there before any of these startups. Yeah, I totally agree. But as, as for other stuff at, at CES, you know, as I said, you know, generally the automakers don't launch new products there. Um, you know, they occasionally show some some concepts and, and they'll do demonstrations of their, uh, you know, they'll talk about, you know, their their technology strategies and demonstrate their autonomous vehicles, which, uh, you know, Hyundai was did some demonstrations with their autonomous Ionic, uh, which unfortunately, uh, due to a scheduling conflict, I was not able to uh, get a, a ride in that one. Um, NVIDIA was doing some, some stuff with theirs. And, you know, NVIDIA was actually, you know, they were they probably had the biggest news at CES. Um, you know, they, they for a couple of years now, they've been developing a, an AI processing platform for autonomous vehicles uh the latest version of that is called drive px2 uh which you know they, they've got they, they will sell you a drive px2 unit you know and it's designed as a development unit uh if you want to do autonomous development and a lot of the companies both suppliers and manufacturers and a lot of the startups are using these things for their autonomous vehicle development um and we had three announcements at CES of companies that are going to commercialize that platform. Uh, and, and the strategy that NVIDIA is taking is very similar to their strategy, you know, that they've had for a long time, you know, since they started with um, graphics cards for PCs where, you know, they don't, they don't make and sell their, uh, their own um, consumer uh, graphics cards. What they do is they design the chips, the, the, the graphics processors, um, and then they license those to other manufacturers to build the boards, you know, so NVIDIA will build a reference board you know, and, and show you the reference board, which is what the drive PX2 is in the case of autonomous. And then they will license that to other manufacturers to sell it commercially to consumers. So, you know, we had announcements from uh, ZF, Bosch and Audi uh, last week that they are all going to be producing um uh, ECUs for electronic control units for their for autonomous vehicles based on the Drive PX2 platform, um, with ZF being the first uh, starting in 2018, uh, and then Bosch and, and Audi coming in 2020 for for their stuff. Well, and they're not the only um, 
company that they're not the only ones that who have that realization like hey you know what gpus are these massive sort of multi-thread collections of processors um that lend themselves really well to doing this kind of processing besides you know th- you know 3d and computer workstations and, and ray tracing and all the things that have to go on when we're doing high-end graphics and video work um that kind of stuff is a direct port to the you know because like the I'm, I'm trying to come up with like a modern, like a Xeon processor or even the, the you know, the newer like Intel core I sevens or, or, you know, something even more modern. Um, that's not the same kind of processor as GPU processors. It, that's sort of like a single task processor. Right. GPUs Th- are basically, things, things like Intel's pro- Intel's and AMD's processor, you know, they're, they're general purpose processors that are the main processors in a, in a computer. Um, have a, a totally different kind of architecture and different operating capability from a from a GPU, either from NVIDIA or from uh, from AMD. You know, those those things, like you said, you know, I mean, they often have hundreds of processing cores um, that are very highly optimized for certain kinds of tasks. And it, as it turns out, um, they actually work really well, particularly for um, the, the pro- uh, signal processing of the information from the sensors in an autonomous vehicle. Yeah. And then well, because a lot that. of it is image processing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of it is, is sort of, you know, making sense of, of camera data. Right. So, and running neural networks uh, to, to process all that stuff. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in like your, in your car. And we had, um, Ford brought Mark Fields back to, uh, to CES too. So like you said last time, you know, he was, he was there for, uh, CES, 10 years ago when they introduced sync and and he came back. Yeah. I mean, fields was, uh, I'm pretty sure the, uh, the first major auto executive to, uh, to, to be at CES in 2007, uh, you know, 10, 10 years ago this week um, when he took, and, you know, he didn't have a standalone event there. He took the stage with Bill Gates back then during the bill, during the Microsoft keynote uh, to announce the original version of sync uh, that went into the 2008 uh, focus and then ultimately across the Ford lineup. And, you know, he's been back several times since, uh, as well as, uh, Alan Mulally, uh, the former CEO at Ford. Um, but now as a CEO, uh, fields was back on, uh, last Friday night, uh, to keynote at the leaders in technology dinner, uh, which is part of CES. And, uh, his focus was really on connected cars and how connectivity is going to be critical, uh, for all of the the new kinds of uh, capabilities that we want to try and build into cars going forward to enable uh, mobility services. So, uh, you know, for you know everything from uh, vehicle to vehicle communications to telematics services, and he talked about you know all the different kinds of services that can be built using the vehicle connectivity. Um, so things like Ford Pass. Um, you know, where you can use your car to pay for things like parking um, or, you know, all kinds of other services. Uh, so it was, it was a very interesting uh, speech. Um, and, you know, not uh, you know, what he was doing was encouraging, um, you know, people in the audience and, and companies that uh, are participants at CES to, you know, really think about, you know, how, you know, what kinds of ser- apps and services you can build uh, using the, the connectivity in vehicles to enhance mobility and enhance um, the experience of people as they're getting around in the world. 
Do you think he was was on point with his speech, or, or was it just sort of like Ford selling what Ford's uh, making? No, I mean he wasn't. He wasn't really. Um, he wasn't really trying to sell what they're making. You know what what he's uh, encouraging others to do is to build on what they're making. You know, so you know they're 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 creating. You know, they're they're Ford and other automakers. You know, are creating these platforms that um, other developers can build on top of. Uh, to create different co- new kinds of services. So yeah, I, d- I do huh. think he was on point. Well, we'll have to. Uh, uh, oh shit! Did I lose you again? No, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just saw a thing. Uh, okay, cool. Um, we'll have to see what he's got uh, up his sleeve for sort of the coming years to actually hit production too. Like it's easy to go to CES and be like, yeah, we're going to do all these great things. Yeah. Well, before, before we leave CES, you know, just, you know, should probably mention uh, the announcement that uh, fields actually made earlier in the week. Um, I was actually standing on the jetway at Detroit Metro airport, waiting to board my flight to Vegas on Tuesday morning. uh, When I got a notification on my phone that Ford was having a uh, press conference two hours later at the flat rock assembly plant, uh, South of Detroit, uh, where, um, Ford builds the Lincoln Continental and the Mustang and uh, Fields was there to announce that um, they they were going to be putting $700 million into Flat Rock uh, and he talked about the some of the electrified vehicles that uh, Ford promised at the end of 2015. They promised 13 new electrified models by 2020 uh, and he identified what seven of those are and uh, a couple of them are, go- you know, several of them are going to be built at Flat Rock um, including, uh, they're in addition to Mustang and Continental, they're adding production of two new vehicles there. One of which is going to be an all electric, uh, SUV with a 300 mile, uh, driving range. And the other is going to be a hybrid, which is the, um, the level four autonomous vehicle that they announced last August, uh, for ride hailing services. Yeah, I, so I kind of skirted this topic just because I, I mean, I, I, my immediate thought, uh, my, the immediate statement I want to make is like, this had nothing to do with Twitter bullies saying stuff. Cause there, the, uh, the other part of this was like, hey, we're, we're, we're doing all this stuff in, in, um, the U S and we're not doing stuff in Mexico that we had been planning. And I, I think your take on it was actually that like, yeah, it probably wasn't going to like, the Mexico thing that changed anyway, it was just a solid business decision, but, uh, in some ways Ford allowed that announcement to be sort of picked up and used as a, you know, a, a sort of token shiny object for, uh, somebody else's political means, which <laughs> felt kind of dirty to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's unfortunately that's typical PR. Um, you know, they, they, they use that opportunity to uh, do something, you know, to announce something that they would have done anyway, uh, which is that they uh, were canceling plans to build a, a new $1.6 billion assembly plant in Mexico. Um, Ford announced a couple of years ago that they were going to build this plant and shift production of their small cars, uh, the Focus and C-Max from the Michigan assembly plant in uh, in Wayne, Michigan to Mexico. Um, and um that got a lot of criticism during last year's presidential campaign uh, from Donald Trump. Uh, when they announced that they were no longer going to build that plant, you know, of course, um, you know, Mr. Trump uh, tweeted that, you know, it, 
he was, you know, he took credit for that decision. But in fact, the reality is that decision almost certainly would have happened regardless of who won the election, uh, because in the time since that announcement was made, um, sales of those cars have continued to decline as have sales of all, you know, pretty much all cars uh, as people sh as the market shifts to uh, crossovers and SUVs. And so Ford had excess capacity at the Hermosillo, Mexico plant uh, where they build the uh, Fusion and Lincoln MKZ. Uh, so instead of building a new plant to build um, the Focus and C-Max, which were declining in sales anyway, they're just going to build those in Hermosillo using the excess capacity they have. So they're still going to Mexico. Right. They're, they're just not going into a new plant that they didn't need. Well, and like, does it does it matter? that much to a incoming president like we're we're gonna get off track here so i'm just i'm I'm gonna kind of leave it alone and just back away and just say you know like uh perhaps we might want to look at the math that goes along with that and say if you like cheap cars and cheap trucks you should probably let the companies that know how to run the companies run the companies <laughs> instead of some dude bloviating uh those carrier jobs for instance uh the tax breaks that they were given um cost us all a, quite a bit to keep 700 jobs in Indiana. Not that I want people to be out of work, but just, yeah, you know, no, I, I agree. All right. So I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, um, where I got us derailed. So where, where, where are we? So we we'll see us over time to dive into the Detroit auto show. All right. The Detroit auto show. Or more, more, uh, more accurately, the North American international auto show in Detroit. Yes. And so how was it this year? Was it uh, a good Detroit or a bad Detroit? Um, auto shows in or, general, like I said, you know, like I said earlier, have you know kind of been on the decline in terms of in terms of media news. Um, you know, one of the one one of the general trends uh, from car makers in the last few years has been um, they're building fewer wild concept cars. You know, and that used to be one of the big news items that came out of auto shows. Like I remember my very my first year that I uh, went to uh, Detroit, the Detroit show as media in 2007. So 10 years ago, uh, Ford unveiled three concept cars that year. Uh, and, that, you know, so they had the um, the Ford Airstream concept, the Lincoln MKR um, and uh, oh, the uh, Ford Interceptor. Uh, I loved all of those. Yeah, they were they were cool. Um, and, you know. That was the, also the year that GM showed the original Chevy Volt concept. Um, there, I mean, there were a bunch of concepts that year. And, you know, back in you know, in the last decade, there were a lot of concepts that came out, you know, at almost every auto show. And this year there were very few. Um, and, and most of the concepts that we did see um, were l loosely uh, disguised uh, versions of upcoming production cars. So, you know, you got a co combination of fewer concept cars being made because they, they are really expensive to design and build. Uh, and then uh, fewer new product introductions. And part of that uh, was just because of the, the overall product cadence of stuff coming to market. There's, you know, right now we're in a little bit of a lull. There was a lot of new products that came out in 2016. There'll be more stuff coming later this year, but, you know, we're kind of in a bit of a lull. And then... Um, you know, there's also a trend of manufacturers increasingly wanting to get away from revealing products at auto shows and doing it at standalone events where they don't have to fight for the attention with everybody else. Um, so, you know, that's German companies, uh, the German premium brands have been doing this for a few years, you know, showing stuff 
their new models a, a month or two before the next major auto show, uh, revealing you know photos and 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 everything, and putting out the information. And then when you get to the show, the car is there. You see it in person, but you know there's no there's no surprise or shock, and it's not really all that newsworthy. So you know you had BMW showing the new five series. Okay, it's nice, but. You know, we've already we saw it a month ago. Same with Mercedes Benz. They showed the E-Class Coupe uh, back in December. You know, now we saw it in in person in Detroit. Um, As far as, uh, you know, real news, uh, you know, the I'd say the star of the show this year was the Kia Stinger. Yeah, I mean, that's so uh, I was looking at that. I and I couldn't really find a great answer. Is that what what is that based on? Uh, it's it's a it's a new platform. Uh, so it's not ba- it's platform. not based on anything that is currently within the Hyundai Kia family. Uh, but we will see other vehicles using that platform in the next uh, two, three, four years. Uh, so it's you know w- you know one of the trends you know that we've had from Hyundai and Kia over the last decade or so. You know they share platforms and share powertrains. Usually Hyundai comes out with something first and then. Kia gets it, you know, a year or so afterwards. Um, but this this time, Kia got to take the lead on this one, um, and it's a it's a new rear wheel drive uh, sports sedan. It's actually a it's actually a hatchback, so it's kind of a similar format to a Porsche Panamera, but it's you know smaller than a Panamera. Uh, it's a it's a midsize, um, so it's actually kind of comparable uh, in size to uh, think think of it like an Audi A5 Sportback. Uh, which is only just coming to, you know, the previous generation was never sold here, but it's coming to the U S market now. Uh, you know, so it's a, a five door hatchback, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a rear wheel drive platform. So it's, it's proportioned like a, a rear wheel drive sports sedan. So like longer hood the cabin pushed back and it's really, really looks good. It's a cool looking car uh, and it has a great name. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they did, they actually did a stinger concept a few years back. Uh, which was a completely different car. Um, you know, it was a, a little little two seat sports car. Um, and then a couple of years ago, they had the Kia GT concept, which was a bigger sports sedan. And this is actually closer to the GT concept, but they they liked the Stinger name so much that they decided to use the, the name from that other concept on this car for the production version of the the Kia GT. I am surprised that they're coming to market with a, a car like this. I mean, to a certain degree, um, given where the market has cooled for it. Um, but, the, you know, their business is strong enough. They certainly have plenty of uh, the things that people are buying the uh, you know, the crossovers. So for them to do an image car, uh, they're probably in a healthy enough spot for it. And it probably makes sense for them just to sort of raise their image. Uh, but it still surprises me, you know, Um that that they're they're having that sort of courage to to do it. Uh, I'm glad they I'm glad they do have the courage to do it. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I I do think it's cool looking. You know, if you read some of the internet commentary, people think that it's just you know like oh hey, great Optima, and it's like well, I mean, there's look at BMW, all their stuff looks the same, and it was like same sausage, different lengths. So you know, if they had made it completely different, people would say like, well, it doesn't look anything like other Kias. So, I mean, there's, no, I mean, yeah, I mean forth, you know, they've, you know, they've clearly, you know, they've taken the, uh, the Kia design language that they've developed over the last, uh, seven or eight years. And, you know, they've continued to evolve that, you know, so, I mean, it, it, 
it looks you know much like you know you look at any bmw you recognize it as a bmw you look at the stinger or any other kia now and you recognize it as a kia so it's got that face you know especially the 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 grill um and the and the tail lights and you know you can see you know hints of you know especially in the the roof line you know hints of the optima and there's nothing wrong with that um but you know the overall proportions are different from what you get on an optima uh or the uh, cadenza or k900 so there's there's enough similarity there to give you that that kia dna but it's something that's something that's clearly different and um you know I think, you know, I, I talked to uh, Mike Harley, you know, our former Autoblog colleague. He's with uh, KBB.com now, and he actually got to go to Korea a few weeks ago uh, on a secret trip to uh, to do a preview drive uh, with the Stinger. And um, he said it's really good. Uh, yeah, well, and he's a serious driver. Oh, yeah. Too, so um, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, but, you know, if my you know, if my experience with the G80 is any indication they're they're getting really good at that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that's going to be uh, sort of uh, hotly awaited when it lands actually for sale and in the fleets. Um, yeah. And I, I thought. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, they're, they're putting two engines in there. Um, they're they're two liter uh, turbo four uh, with 255 horsepower. And then the. The uh, top engine in the Stinger GT is um, a twin turbo version of the 3.3 liter uh, that's in the uh, the G80 uh, with three, yeah. 365 horsepower and 376 foot pounds of torque. Um, and I would guess that when the next generation of the G80 shows up, or you know whatever whatever comes next from uh, from Genesis, that's probably going to be the top top end engine in, that's in that vehicle. Yeah, which makes sense to, uh, you know, uh, everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. And the the sort of responsiveness of the turbo engines, they have that that torque response. You can get just a, a big fat plateau of torque out of it uh, that everybody seems to like. And so V8s like they're they're sort of having their glorious last gasp or glorious reduction, I guess. I don't know that they're ever going to completely go away. There's something to be said for a v8 but it, it is wholly unnecessary yeah it, it's, <laughs> it's wholly unnecessary but you know it's it's still nice to have it and you know there's there's still some interesting stuff being done with v8s um and we'll actually um it, you know one of one of the other the one of the other big uh new products uh that did come out of the detroit show is the the 20 2018 uh mid-cycle uh refresh of the f-150 the ford f-150 yeah which I mean, I think it actually looks looks better. You know, yeah. mid-cycle refreshes have this this. Uh, it could go either way. Like they they can either look like the original car that just like sort of had some new pieces molded for it and stuck on there, but you can see through to the original. Uh, this this looks all of a piece. It looks like it was really you know well well considered. Um, and so that they you know they, they did change the grill and stuff. That the tailgate, uh, a lot of detail changes. Um. You know, it's it was it's not like it was in danger of not being best selling Ford vehicle anyway. Right. But and uh, <laughs> but you know what what's really important about this, you know, I mean the the styling updates are good, but the the big news is the powertrains. Um, you know, first of all, they finally confirmed that yes, they are gonna do a diesel in the F one fifty, uh, which we've Yeah, that surprised me because I was like, really? Like is there that much demand for a diesel? Because like the the diesel Ram was so underwhelming too. It was just like, uh, 
I don't know. I really like engine, the diesel Ram. I feel like that engine just takes a while to wind up. And I mean, it's and, not a drag uh, racer, but you know, in terms of you know the the capability, the combination of capability and fuel economy that you get with it, you know, the towing capability and the fuel economy uh, compared to you know Ford's EcoBoost engines was so far superior. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'd have to try them sort of back to back. Uh, I just something about the power delivery of that engine. And I don't expect it to be a drag racer, but it just felt like you really had to get on it. You know, and I felt the same way with that engine in the Jeep, too. Like That's the same VM motor three liter turbo diesel, right? That's yeah, in both the Ram. Yeah, and the, yeah. the, the, the um, engine going in the um, the F-150 is uh, it's also a three liter V6, uh, but it's a Ford designed and built engine, which they've actually been supplying to Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, for several years so it's the same uh, three liter v6 that you'll find in the uh, the current range rovers and um they've they've also offered it uh in the jag xj in europe uh for several years so it's it's a proven engine you know and it's it's a really good one uh i really liked it in the uh in the range rover but you know their entire gas engine lineup is also getting an update for uh 2014 or 2018 uh, the the base engine, the base normally aspirated V6, has been reduced from three point three to three point, or from three point five to three point three liters, um, and then uh, the two EcoBoost uh, V6s, the two seven and the three five. The three five actually got its update for twenty seventeen, um, and then the uh, the V8, the five liter V8. Um, all all four engines now have the dual port and direct injection system that they introduced. Uh, on the 3.5 for the 2017 model year and the two EcoBoost engines and the V8 all come uh, standard with uh, Ford's uh, the 10 speed automatic that Ford designed with GM. Did they talk about sort of the justification for having so many engines like there's so much overlap and the EcoBoost V6 is just just really kick the V8's ass. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, um, the, the, the V6s, the EcoBoost are definitely the dominant engines in terms of take rate. Um, I think, I think the five liter now, you know, is only, only accounts for about 15% of F-150 sales. Um, you know, the, the two seven is about 40%. And then the three five is the, the next highest, uh, with the three, three and the, and the V8, uh, lagging behind. But, you know, the thing is, even, even though they're relatively small volumes, you know, Ford sold 75,000 F series trucks in, in December. So, yeah, you know, be, that's a, a good, small, a small yeah. share of that big a pie is still a lot of engines. Um, I suppose. And, and I mean, that's 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 a good year for, yeah. for some niche automakers. Yeah, I mean, so. that's, you know, that's almost as many as cars as Tesla shipped in, in all of 2016 or 2016. Uh, so, you know, to sell that many trucks in one month, eh, you're doing all right. Um, so and some of the other detail changes are funny, too. Like they're, they're adding, you know, like autonomous uh, not autonomous but uh you know the the dynamic cruise with stop and go capability so it doesn't like wind up in a in stop and go traffic and then just give up and be like nope you you take over now yeah. now the traffic is stopped um so that's like a very that's a nod to like commuting um which i i find it funny that it's in a truck but then it's it's completely logical because trucks are used like that so why not give the people what yeah i mean want? a lot of them are used you know in, in city driving by contractors and you know they're, they're used by utility uh workers and so on so yeah and you can get a bang and olufsen uh audio system in there now uh it's um, a no it's a bno play 
which is not the same as a Bang & Olufsen. It, B, Bang & Olufsen sold the B&O Play brand to Harmon uh, a couple of years ago. So okay. it's B&O, you know, it's, it's one of the, like, I think about 20 different brands that Harmon has now. Har- yeah, Harmon makes everything. Yeah. Harmon is like the Luxottica of uh, car audio systems. <laughs> uh, so yeah, B&O Play is uh, is the is the brand the for that is the new branding for Ford's premium audio systems branded audio. Oh, systems. so it's not not Sony anymore. Right? Yeah, they're they're they're, from... they're they're phasing out Sony and using B&O Play going forward. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Completely geeky, interesting, but uh, interesting. I thought that actually the, the the sort of biggest, most interesting debut for me at, at uh, Detroit was the new Camry, which is pretty much like the old Camry. Um, <laughs> which, actually, it's it's actually surprisingly different. I mean, you know, the styling has been updated. You know, the design the design is definitely more aggressive. Uh, you know, continuing the trend they had when they did their mid cycle refresh on the current generation. Yeah, well, and, and like that's what I wanted to say too. Like, not in a bad way, yeah. is it? Like the old Camry, like the, the Camry, like they, they sell like crazy. So, yeah. y- you know, again, if you're going to have the, the it's it's it, this is an interesting show. So sort of the two top selling vehicles in this market were refreshed for this show. Uh, one a lot more thoroughly than the other. Obviously, the Camry is a, a complete overhaul compared to the F-150. But still, um, uh, what what did they sort of talk up like what was their their uh their sort of biggest talking point for the camry um when they rolled it out um well powertrains have been updated uh obviously um and both you know they're keeping the the v6 and the 2.5 liter four cylinder but both of them now have like the ford f-150 engines they both have both uh port and direct injection and that's that's a trend we're going to see more of uh going forward in the next several years uh because it it helps um overcome some of the drivability issues uh that uh some people have experienced with di engines uh especially uh cold start um but it also um helps the manufacturers to uh meet uh the tighter particular emission standards that are coming starting in 2018 um Direct injected engines tend to have a little bit higher particulate emissions than port injected engines uh so having the uh Going with the dual system uh, helps them. They can use a, a combination of port and direct injection, and it gets lower particulate emissions. Not every manufacturer is going this way. Some are going to uh, newer uh, direct injection systems that are operated even higher pressures, uh, so they can get better control. Uh, like GM is using a, a 350 bar uh, direct injection system now. Uh, so you know, a bunch of different um, uh, combinations that people are using. Yeah, well, one of the one of the problems, sort of from a service life standpoint, is that uh, some of the cars with direct injection wind up with lots of carbon on the intake valves, um, which is an issue that needs to be mechanically, they you know they need to be re- mechanically removed that those carbon deposits, um, and port injectors help that because it, it's basically you're spraying the valves with the solvent, right? Um, so. That that can help out, and you know this is it's the I'm assuming it's the Toyota D4S yeah. system that they have on a few different engines. Um, yeah, they've used know, so it mostly on Lexus up until now, but they're starting to put it on the Toyota brand engines as well. 
Yeah. And there are places where the, the port injection, because, you know, a lot of it is uh, to get that that mixing, you know, the velocity of the charge entering the, the cylinder. So sometimes you actually do want the port injection uh-huh. because it'll just, you know, the way it gets mixed. Um, and so what are the new the new engines there? The, the, is it just the same stuff with a different name? Like they're are they now just calling the 2.5 liter engine the dynamic force engine? It's the same thing or? Yeah, I mean, it's the same it, same displacement, the 2.5 uh, liter four and a 3.5 liter V6. Um, but they're now paired with uh, eight-speed automatic transmissions, uh, so you get you know the, uh, the better you know you're gonna have better fuel economy um, with the uh, the the new transmissions as well. Uh, so the combination of the new fuel systems and, and other updates to the engines as well. Yeah, well, that V6. I, I I guess I should really really dig into it, you know, because they've they've said that their 3.5 liter V6 is new as well and it's like is it new or is it like they've had a 3.5 for a long time yeah i mean you know it's it's significantly revised let's put it that way yeah it's it's not often that you get you know a completely new engine you know new new engine architecture uh so it's it's significantly revised you know i think most of the most of the parts in it are actually you know different they're not interchangeable um, yeah, but you know, the, the overall architecture, you know, so you got the same bore spacing and the same, same basic internal dimensions. Um, that kind of stuff makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it packages the same way, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the details inside it are different. So, you know, it's a different part numbers, you know, different, different, um, you know, passages for the intake and exhaust ports and things like that to improve flow. So a lot of, a lot of detail work. So it's, it's yeah, effectively is- a new engine. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the story of, of the Camry right there is just, uh, you know, a lot of ongoing detail work, you know, to just carefully revise and improve. I mean, uh, I, I continue to be impressed with the Camry every time I drive it. Like they've just managed to make it, you know, they've managed to build it for a cost and make it solid for so many people like i recommend the camry a lot even though it's not my favorite car to drive like i'm, I'm you can still get in one and go this is really hard yeah <laughs> and they do a really good job doing this um, yeah and you know it, the new camry um is built on their their new global architecture that it's actually shared with the uh, the prius the prius was the first one to get this architecture um and so it's now being used for the camry as well um different dimensions you know it's a little bit longer wheelbase uh, a little bit wider uh, but you know, similar, uh, same platform, same basic platform. Have you driven the, uh, the TGNA, uh, Prius? Yeah, I've, I've driven the, the standard one. I haven't, I haven't yet, uh, they haven't gotten any of the, uh, Prius primes, the Prime. plug-in hybrid yeah. yet, but the, the standard one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like night and day compared to the, the previous Priuses. It's so much yeah. better to drive. I thought it felt really sporty. Yeah. It, um, shockingly for a, for a Prius. Yeah, it surprised the hell of me. It, the, the new Prius is ugly, but man, it, it drives nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I also still don't like the the interior layout, the instrument panel layout with the the gauges in that little strip across the middle of the dashboard. But you know, that's that's me. But the Prius buyers like it. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, uh, yeah, and and more was sort of Toyota stuff uh there's new lexus ls too oh yeah revised ls so yeah that's kind of big news yeah it's the uh, i think the fifth generation of the uh the ls you know the original ls actually debuted uh here in detroit you know 26 
27 years ago, 1989. 1989. Yeah. yeah. The, the first year that it was actually the first year that the Detroit auto show transformed into the North American international auto show. Uh, and that was, I mean, that was a big year for the show. Um, you know, the Lexus debuted at that show. Um, and, um, the original Dodge Viper concept debuted at that show. Uh, so, you know, what, what more could you ask for? Um, but yeah, now Lexus is back with a new LS, which, you know, has some pretty, you know, when that original LS was, you know, pretty bland, it was kind of a bland, uh, copy of a, of a Mercedes at the time. And, you know, this new one is something completely different. And interestingly enough, it does, is not available with a V8 engine for the first time. Yeah. Um, I think that the LS, you have the LS to thank for so much. Um, you, you have the LS to thank for Mercedes and BMW being the way they are now. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, they, they really, uh, it was maybe a bland copy of those cars, but some of it was... But it was it executed was so, so well. Yeah, so well done. Um, it really it raised the state of the art of the craft uh, of auto making. Um, you know, there was there's a lot of stuff that maybe gets lost with just how how that vehicle was. It was just a jewel. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of you know I, I see the same kind of thing happening with with the the G8 that was actually one thing that I thought of was like they're they're taking the LS playbook uh the G80 in the same way um but yeah well I mean know, there, were, there were actually you know there were two cars of that period that really were kind of the turning point for um premium brands globally you know there was I know what you're going to say the, the, the LS and yeah. of course the original NSX yeah you know the the LS yep. changed the luxury car game and the NSX set the set a new bar for um high-end sports cars you know for for supercars um yeah it kind of put them on notice like hey guys we're gonna we're, we're gonna kill you yeah if, if you don't measure and, up you know i mean up up to that point you know ferraris and lamborghinis were were fast but they tended to be really unreliable and they had terrible ergonomics and um, you know, they were, they were expensive to, to service. Well, I guess they're still expensive to service, but they still are, but they need much less, you know, yeah. now, and it's like every car, they still, they still need service. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we have those two cars that I was, it was I was thinking about that as I was talking about the LS, like we, we have the LS and the NSX to really thank for pushing things along and, and just getting us to this, this new level of perfection that this sort of like, you know, it infuses the Camry, it infuses the, uh, you know, the, the, the Ford Fusion, uh, if we want to talk about domestic manufacturers, like, yeah, it, it's, well, it's, gone... it's like, the you know, the whole industry, you know, it's always been a case of new stuff debuts at the upper end of the market and then filters down to the mainstream. And the reason why we have such good mainstream cars today is, you know, to a degree, you know, in part because of cars like the Lexus LS. Wow, we sound really hopeful, <laughs> really, really hopeful this time around. Wow. Yeah, that's well, awesome. that's, yeah, we, that's only because we know the world is doomed, but. <laughs> eventually it is this is what i tell my kids because they're like my science teacher said that the you know the universe is going to collapse in a supernova or something like yeah it will yeah and about get, five you know, billion they, they years the, you know but right they get to look at terry and if it's like look we're gonna die from something else yeah. like long before that like i'm gonna get hit by a bus or just drop dead at my desk yeah. like just don't worry about it we'll be dead yeah, I mean, you know <laughs> average human lifespan you know 80 90 years if you're lucky and you know the yeah. You know, the world's been going for four and a half billion and it's going to go for another four and a half. And, you know, by that time, yeah. you know, nobody will be around to remember it. 
Well, it's so funny. Like, you know, the, you, like my son, he's reading Harry Potter. And, and so, you know, one of the things in there is it's, it's sort of like Voldemort with eternal life and whatever. It's like, ah, man, you don't want to live forever. Like you get you, at a certain point, you just want to be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. Yep. <laughs> Let me finish. All right. Now that we've gotten all philosophical, uh, do you want to talk about some questions? Sure. Let's do that. All right. Uh, let's see. We had some questions on Facebook. We had some questions, uh, via email and we had a, well, we, we got to the, the, uh, question on Twitter, uh, cause that was the stinger, um, that, uh, somebody wanted us to talk about. So, uh, yeah, we had, I know you, you came across a email question about the, uh, 2018 cross track. Yeah. So, uh, Rick, uh, wrote in to ask about the, um, the, the Subaru Crosstrek, uh, he's thinking about buying a Crosstrek. Uh, the lease on their car is up next January, so I guess about a year from now. And they're considering the, uh, the Crosstrek, and he's wondering whether the 18 model will be on the new Impreza platform or will it just have updates like the 18 uh, WRX. Um, I'd say that, you know, the Crosstrek uh, as more of, you know, I think one of um, Subaru's current core models uh, will almost certainly be, you know, based is, you know, within, you know, pretty much as soon as the new Impreza is available, the updated Crosstrek uh, based on that platform will also be uh, available. You know, the, the Impreza might, or the WRX might lag behind by a year or so uh, to update that one. But um, I think probably by next January, we will probably see uh, both the new Impreza and Crosstrek. Yeah. And, I wouldn't necessarily let that color your decision too much because Subaru tends to be so consistent uh, from from model to model, even when they update. You know, the old Impreza is going to feel like the new Impreza. The the current Crosstrek is going to be very similar to the new one. You know, the new one will be a little bit you know more rigid, probably have some more luxury, just like we've seen with the Impreza. You know, it's going to be nicer, the new model, but it's not like you're going to miss out on a lot if you get a good deal on the existing one. And I really like the Crosstrek a lot. Yeah. I, I haven't actually driven one, uh, but other Subarus I've driven, you know, I've liked, so I'm sure it's, it's quite good. I actually like the Crosstrek hybrid a lot. Really? And it's, yeah, it's not a great hybrid, but um, it's, it's good. It's good to drive. It gets decent fuel economy. It, uh, you know, like it's certainly, it's no, it's no super refined hybrid, but I, I didn't, I didn't mind that stuff about it. I actually thought it was a good attempt and, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> didn't, didn't offend me. And we all know how offended I can get with hybrids. Um, I think part of it was that it has the thicker, uh, the hybrid has the thicker floor pan from the, uh, the WRX. Uh, so it actually has a little bit more structural rigidity. So it, it drove well. Um, all right. So we, we actually had these are the, the Facebook questions we've got were from uh, the same user, Anthony. And uh, I think he's trying to reverse engineer automotive journalism <laughs> here. <laughs> um, the uh, the question from last week was, uh, you know, it seems the car enthusiast podcast genre is a, uh, a tight knit group. Um, you know, you heard about the smoking tire from listening to Adam Carolla's car cast. And those guys also talked about, you know, everyday driver and regular reviews and Hooniverse. Um, I did guest on everyday driver. They, I had them guest on, uh, the Autoblog podcast and we're all, even this podcast is hosted on shout engine. Um, 
how do we connect to others? I, I mean, we're, we're all just, we're, we see each other's work out there, you know? Um, and, and so and we connect. We're, we're often, you know, at, in the same places, you know, for example, at auto shows, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned being a tight knit group and it's not just the podcasters, but the entire automotive journalism community, you know, we go to the same media events with the manufacturers where we learn about their products, you know, we and drive the cars and, um, you know, go to the same auto shows. So, you know, whenever, whenever, you know, an auto, big auto show comes up, you know, it's like old home week, you know, we're seeing each other, you know, again, um, and, you know, in within, you know, the various places where, you know, most of the, the journalists live, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of us here in the Detroit area. Uh, there's a bunch of them in, in LA and, and, and New York, um, you know, and a few other locations, you know, and they often get together and, and hang out and there's, you know, there's, um, groups and associations like, uh, Dan, you're uh, part of uh, NEMPA, the new England motor press association. Yep. I'm part, I'm a member of the automotive press association here in Detroit. There's the motor press guild and, in uh, Southern California. Um, there's the Western automotive journalists. I think they're based in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere, somewhere in the Northwest. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a few other uh, similar groups. Uh, right. So, and, oh, and, and of course, MAMA, the mid, uh, the mid, uh, mid Midwest automotive Auto. media association. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, Look, it's the same group. Like you said, it's the same group of like, uh, you know, friends and weasels. That, uh, <laughs> as as the uh, the the great uh, Mad Magazine would say, it's the usual gang of idiots. Yeah. I mean, there's just some people like you're really happy to see the car show. And there's others you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you see, see somebody walking towards you and you immediately turn, you know, and head the other way. Yeah. Like, oh, there's sandwiches over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, um, there's some coffee. I need a coffee. <laughs> Right. And so, like, are we all friends? Yeah. I mean, we're all acquaintances. We're all colleagues, um, you know. And many of us are friends. Is, yeah. It, it's a small industry. It's it's hard to not be be friends and colleagues and friendly. And, you know, once you're on the inside of it, you know how it goes. And so you do look out for each other to a certain degree. And you pass information back and forth about, you know, openings and, and um, things. And so uh, Shout Engine, um, I, I think I started using them because Hooniverse was actually hosted on shout engine. And, uh, when I was doing, you know, starting up the extra mile, um, it's just, it's a really easy platform to use. And Chris Hayes, who runs shout engine, uh, is tight with, uh, the, the smoking tire. Um, and he's a good dude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it seems to work. Uh, so hopefully there hasn't been any sort of hosting complaints, uh, from anybody because that's the platform we use, but, uh, you know, uh, it just sort of like, it's like, well, that, that works. Everybody else is there. So yeah, sure. Why not? Um, last part of this question is why is the answer always WRX, GTI or Miata? Uh, those are all very good cars and they are good at what they do. It's not because there's any kind of like Kool-Aid drinking. Um, it, they're just good. They're benchmarks. Sometimes cars are benchmarks. Yeah. Just, um, just like, you know, for, for many, many years, uh, you know, the, the BMW three series was, uh, the benchmark for steering feel and, and handling, you know, especially for the guys at car and driver. Yeah. But no longer. No. <laughs> um, and so Anthony also had another question, uh, since we're now on our own, how do we still get cars? Um, you, look kid, you're asking too many questions. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blow my cover. Uh, you know, he, he can understand you with Navigant, but uh, how do I get cars? Um, 
well, I have an outlet and I have a following and we have some numbers behind it. And, uh, you know, I can send uh, in clippings back and I'm working on a couple of other things as well uh, that are in development. So, you know, I'm trying not to disappear. Um, but also, you know, the way it runs up here is maybe a little different than the way it runs in, in other parts of the country. So um, I, I don't know. I've been lucky, I guess, is is the way I should should put it. But they, they give cars to a lot of people, man. You'd be surprised at who gets cars, um, especially if you're an influencer. If you're a mom with a blog, it's probably pretty easy to get yourself a an Acadia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, the 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 car, depending on you know who you are and, and what you write, you know, what kind of outlet you you publish to, uh, you know, you may only have access to certain types of vehicles, um, you know, depending on on what the manufacturers want to want to promote, uh, you know, whereas you know somebody writing for more of a general automotive publication, you know, would have access to a broader array of vehicles, um. But, yeah. the, you know, the, the key is, you know, for the manufacturers, you know, providing media vehicles um, is not an inexpensive proposition. You know, uh, you know, they, you know, the, the vehicles themselves are expensive and they, you know, they require service. And, you know, some of the particularly uh, some of the big publications, you know, when they do their um, their instrumented testing, you know, they're they're pretty hard on the cars, you know. And so, that, you know, they'll wear out tires and brakes and things like that when they do track testing. And so, you know, the, those cars, you know, require a lot more service than a typical car in use by a consumer would. So it's an expensive proposition. So they, they gen, you know, the manufacturers generally want to make sure that, um, you know, that they're going to get some coverage uh, for providing in return for for providing access to those cars. Uh, you know, there, you know, there are some outlets like, for example, um, Consumer Reports, um, you know, they have the resources to actually go and buy all the cars that they test. Uh, so they'll they'll go out, you know, to a dealer just like any other consumer and and purchase the cars that they're going to test. Um, and, you know, when they're done with them, you know, they'll keep them for a while, you know, and, and do some extended testing and then they'll sell them just like any other consumer. Um, you know, whereas most publications, um, you know, they, they, uh, they rely on, um, the manufacturers providing access to those vehicles. Yeah. It's a cozy relationship between industry and press. Um, but it, it's like that with a lot of consumer goods too, you know, like there was, uh, when I was writing for, for all blog, um, and I, let's be clear, I'm still a freelancer for Autoblog. I just haven't managed to successfully pitch them on anything for a variety of reasons. One of them is I've been very busy, so I haven't pitched them much. That's on me. Um, but also, you know, like my, my focus has shifted. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in doing some other things that don't necessarily match up with what their, their reader base is, is always interested in. But thankfully there's this lovely audience to hang on my every word. And and we do appreciate <laughs> you, uh, our, our loyal audience and, uh, Look forward yeah, to hearing for sure. more from you. Yeah, you know, send us your questions, and and uh, you know if you're so inclined, uh, you know feel free to um, give us a review or a rating on iTunes or you know whatever other platform you're using to get to get the podcast. And um, yeah, we have one uh, one review on Facebook that's very good. I'd love to see more of those. Um, you know, certainly we're we're out there. We're around. Engage with us. Uh, we're we're trying to build a thing. Um, and it's it's going well so yeah uh you know but it, let us know what you want more of and we'll give you more of that 
It's easy. <laughs> uh, and with that, I think, um, Sam, you're exhausted. Uh, yeah, it's been a long two weeks. Yeah, it's late. Uh, so we'll come back next week. We You actually did some interviews. Yep. So we will uh, we'll put some interviews out. There's uh, some exciting stuff going to happen next week. So we, we have we're prepared for that. And, um, you know, stay tuned for that. Uh, and I won't talk about it any further. But, uh, yeah, we have some cool stuff going on um, for the end of this month and into February. So uh, we will come back next week with that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. See you next time. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.